Welcome, everyone, to BAMS Radio. We're coming to you here on a Tuesday, a little later in the week. Of course, Alabama on a bye. Uh, we're going to wrap up the Tennessee Volunteer 15th straight win for the University of Alabama. It was, of course, 52-24. to 24. The Crimson Tide easing away in the fourth quarter for an impressive win, of course, uh, for a touchdown one uh, as they wrap things up. It was a, a really good you know, performance from the Tide overall. You know, some bumps in the road. They certainly got a punt blocked, which wasn't ideal, uh, you know, in the football game. But I thought it was one of the bigger sequences when Alabama held them to a field goal after that on the sudden change. The defense rose up. Really, the, the Tide defense, I thought, played an exceptional game, except for two busts in the secondary. We'll talk about that. That's going to be a huge focus, I think, on the bye week of cleaning that up. But Alabama, once again, very impressive. Uh, as Bryce Young played at an extremely high level, uh, was a named player of the week this week, I think richly deserved uh, by the young man who also finally made some plays with his legs. And a lot of uh, fans have been wanting to see him use his mobility he certainly did that against Tennessee. Brian Robinson having a very, very quiet but very, very solid final season in Crimson. He has another 100-yard game. John Mechie really getting it rolling as well. After a slow start, Jamerson Williams with maybe the biggest play of the game on that deep ball from Bryce Young that set up the uh, touchdown to extend Alabama's lead in the third quarter to 38-24, which they eased away in the fourth quarter. Uh, for the big-time win. And again, if anybody understands this Alabama-Tennessee rivalry and my uh, two compatriots do here tonight on BAMs, never forget uh, what Phil Fulmer put Alabama through. So always enjoy the, the streak in this series. It's the longest in history right now. And Alabama has won 15 straight now over their historical rival, the Tennessee Vols, to, to break it all down. Myself, and I'm here with my usual cohorts, our producer extraordinaire from the Port City of Mobile, that would be Thomas the Wizard Watts, is going to give us his takes and thoughts on Alabama versus Tennessee, as he was also in attendance, as was myself. And then William Redfish Barger, who was a part of one of the great streaks for Alabama against the Vols. He uh, never lost to Tennessee, so he will be uh, with us tonight as well, talking Alabama Vols and the bye week and breaking down this Alabama offensive line, which has been a huge topic of conversation but they're both with me tonight here on BAMS. And I'm going to, at the end of our episode, I'm going to talk a little basketball, too, as I was able to be in attendance on Sunday, which is the reason we're coming to you on Tuesday. I attended the Alabama basketball exhibition win over Louisiana, and I'll have some thoughts on the Crimson Tide and hoops as well. But we've got Thomas Watts here with us and William. And William, I wanted to bring you in uh, and give us your thoughts on Alabama-Tennessee. It's a storied rivalry. You were able to, of course, play against the Vols throughout your career, but another nice win for Alabama over Tennessee and Brian Denny Stadium. And I know uh, a big topic is going to be that offensive line. We've talked about Chris Owens throughout the right tackle spot, but I know you uh, have uh, some things you'd like to talk about and kind of break that down on the O-line and where they currently stand right now going into this bye week. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's just gotten to the point now as as we, you know, enter the off week, we're already into it, I should say, that, you know, wherever you go, if you turn on the radio, if you turn on the internet, um, you know, I'm sure, you know, a lot of the listeners are, you know, text back and forth with their friends and 
discuss the Alabama offensive line that is the, the, the 2021 unit. And, and I think, you know, and I, and I don't think we've gone into this um, this season, but, it, you know, I, I think everybody's confused and everybody has gotten kind of lulled into, you know, this, this, you know, it's just a plug and play type scenario at Alabama at that position group. And, by a lot of good recruiting evaluations, it kind of has been that way going all the way back to basically 2012. You know, I, I can remember, you know, people thinking that, oh, my God, you know, we're losing Barrett Jones. You know, who, who in the hell is the next center going to be? And lo and behold, it, it was a three-star from Ohio that's now considered the best center in, in pro football, Ryan Kelly. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you go through that period of time, you know, Alabama just had – you know, albeit whether they were high draft picks, which they certainly had, you know, they had a lot of dudes. You know, they, they had guys like Ross Pierce Baker and Bradley Bozeman, um, who, who have both, you know, um, you know, had decent pro careers. Bozeman's, you know, done rather well for himself, a lot better than decent, I should say. But, you know, if, if you if you kind of go back into, you know, when, when Cam Robinson was able to come in and start day one at left tackle, I think that was in 2014, you know, you, you kind of had this process. He was able to do it. And then, you know, the next guy that shows up, I think, two years later, Jonah Williams, you know, Jonah could have started in the SEC at any five positions on the offensive line as a 10th grade in high school. Don't believe me. Go watch his film. Um, you know, then it was – um, you know, you had Jedrick Wills and Alex Leatherwood show up the next year, albeit neither one of them started, but they, they were both SEC ready to play. They both played a lot as true freshmen. I, I still think Jedrick Wills could have started at right tackle as a true freshman. He's another guy could play all five positions. And let's don't forget, you know, Alex Leatherwood came off the bench in the second half along with Tua Tungavailoa. And, and played a big part in that comeback win versus Georgia in the national championship game. And then, you know, Evan Neal shows up and, you know, kind of went the same route, um, you know, for different reasons than Leatherwood did. I think more so due to the depth, um, you know, Evan Neal started off at guard, played the next year at right tackle. Now he's at left tackle. Now, if, if you're looking where this drop-off in talent, and there's certainly been one has occurred, it's, probably in the last two, maybe three recruiting classes, they haven't signed a Jonah Williams or, a, or an Alex Leatherwood, a Jedrick Wills, or a Evan Neal. Somebody or, or multiple people that are capable of coming in and being SEC ready to play both physically and mentally. You know, if you go back and look at that offensive line that Mac Jones operated on last year, you know, you had two first-round draft picks in Evan Neal and Alex Leatherwood and a high second-round pick in um, Dickerson, who probably would have been a first-round pick without all the knee surgeries. So, yeah. you know, let's let's fast forward to this year. There's only one first-round draft pick on that offensive line, and, and I really don't know where the other four guys are going to factor in um, as far as NFL careers, I mean, there, nobody's going to be um, a first, second, or third-round pick out of that group, at least they're playing right now. So th there's a reason for the drop-off, and that's because there's been a talent drop-off. And, 
you know, the, the, you know, everybody wants to talk about, you know, Chris Owens at right tackle. You know, I honestly believe if the Alabama coaching staff thought that they had a better option, you know, you'd see Chris Owens either move back to center or one of the guard positions and that guy would be out there. You know, I think myself included, um, you know, I was guilty coming out of the A-Day game, um, you know, with the way that, that J.C. Latham performed in the A-Day game. I thought after a full off season in the summer and a fall camp, you know, he, he might be that guy at right tackle. But for whatever reason, it, it looks like uh, more mentally than physically not being ready to play, they're still bringing him along. I think he's still, you know, a viable prospect if Owens were to get hurt or if, if Dalcourt was to get hurt and you had to put, you know, Owens back inside at center, you might see J.C. Latham at right tackle. But, you know, then and, and there again, you, you, people, I think, allow – you know, recruiting rankings to, you know, affect their judgment on this particular position group. You know, everybody was ranting and raving that, you know, Alabama signed the quote-unquote number two offensive tackle prospect in the country in Tommy Brockenheimer, you know, and, and they thought they were going to see him out there running with the first team in spring practice or competing for the right tackle job um, in fall camp. But they forgot that Tommy Brockenheimer had – you know, major shoulder surgery in 2019. He played in a private school league out in Texas, i.e. there's going to be a big-time adjustment to the level of competition that he's going to face at an Alabama practice, much less than on, on an SEC Saturday, versus what he saw um, in, in private Texas league high school football. And and at the end of the day, the, the biggest reason why you haven't seen Tommy Brockenmeyer um, on the field this year is he needed at least one year in the strength and conditioning program to add size and strength. And, and, you know, he needs to learn to be, you know, a bender versus a leaner. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, certainly can be taught. Um, but, but, you know, that number two offensive tackle grade that they, that he was given as a prospect, Tommy Brockenheimer never asked for that pressure to be put on him. You know, that's something that the recruiting services did. But that ranking was based completely on upside two or three years down the road once he got over his shoulder surgery, once he adjusted to the level of competition in the SEC, and once he corrected his deficiencies, which are lack of size strength and, and being a, um, you know, a leaner versus a bender. You know, he may get there one day and be the most highly decorated, you know, highest draft pick Alabama's ever had at offensive tackle. But we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, the, the deficiencies, Drew, that I still see versus Tennessee, and we've talked about these on the show um, at least last week or the week before, you know, there, it, it's a communications issue. It's not an ability issue in a lot of cases. It's a communications issue. And that's something that, you know, you know as a first-year starter at center, maybe that's something mentally that Darian Dalcourt's still not – able to pick up on and communicate, but there's a lot of times you saw it, you know, in the Texas A&M game when they loaded the, the left side of the offensive lineup with blitzers and they still slid protected to the right and vacated a lot of space over there for, you know, Cohen and Neal to have to try and clean up. And, you know, they did it again versus Tennessee and they still struggle, especially with a gap blitz responsibility and pickup. That's something that, you know, comes with experience. It comes with film study. 
Um, but, you know, it, it, that's the first thing you're taught as an offensive lineman or, you know, even as a fullback or a running back in, in blitz pickup and pass protection, you always take the most imminent threat to the quarterback first, regardless of how it's drawn up or worked out. And if you see somebody come through that A-gap, you know, whether it's a defensive tackle, a middle linebacker, or a safety, that's the quickest route to sack the quarterback, and that guy has to be accounted for and picked up immediately. Mm, great stuff, William. And, uh, you know, it's it's some great insight into the offensive line. Where this is just not going to be a dominant group, uh, but certainly, you know, Brian Robinson, we just talked about him in the opener. He's having a really solid year, averaging five yards per carry, over 700 yards. He's also got over 160 receiving. He's got 13 total touchdowns. And, as I tweeted today, he's really having an all-SEC-type season, uh, and you couldn't ask for more, especially considering, as you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, he's played through a couple of nicks and injuries, showed some toughness. Uh, you know, certainly uh, Alabama, you know, has uh, it, it has some injuries at the position. Jason McClellan now out. Uh, Roy Dale Williams is his backup. Trey Sanders is still recovering from a car accident. It's really, I, you know, folks just saw that got, saw that run against Miami and think he's the best back on the team. But what they got to understand too is he's still learning to play without the ball, and again, it's still a slow process because he's still having to, you know, come back from uh, not maybe not quite as serious of injuries as Tua Tungavailoa had with the hip, but close to it. So he's still not quite ready yet, and uh, he hopefully he'll be all the way back by next year. He'll certainly play some of the rest of the season, but that's the reason he hasn't gotten more of a load is because of that injury. And so Alabama's really only got three backs. You know, Kamar Wheaton, we have now heard during the bye week, had as close to maybe an ACL as you could have. It was a serious injury. Don't expect him back. So Alabama uh, will be, will, has who they have, and they need to keep these guys healthy. This bye week will really help that situation. Uh, but I wanted to bring in Thomas Watts. Thomas, uh, William just gave us an outstanding breakdown of where the offensive line is. Uh, what, 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 what really stood out to you and impressed you about the Tides' 52 to 24 win over Tennessee? And, and what do you think uh, are some things they need to be trying to fix during the bye week? So, what did we say at the end of last week's show? Uh, there was concern, of course, Alabama lost to Texas A&M. They go out, they really do a great job against Mississippi State. What you wanted to see, what I wanted to see, essentially, was, you know, do it again. Come out and play a very so play a good game against a team that, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, is as good as it gets. I mean, I think, I think it's fair to say that Tennessee, as an offensive group, has been able to do some things that are surprising. Now, once you break it down, you understand that they want to tempo you into the dirt and cause confusion that way, and they're never going to slow down. But anyway, you know, their statistics are impressive. Well, Alabama held the number five-ranked rushing offense in Tennessee to 25%, you know, give or take, a, give or take of their rushing averages. Um, you don't do that. Like, that, that's just not a number that ever gets associated in modern college football. Does that mean that Alabama has the most elite defense ever? No, that's not what I'm saying. But the Alabama defense did that. Yes, they gave up some unfortunate coverage busts, and you should never excuse that. 
Uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying that they shouldn't try and clean that up. But when you watch that game, you absolutely had the feeling at the time that Alabama was in one. At least I did. I said that to some friends that, who were watching on television or in the stadium. But then you started looking at it, and you realized at halftime, honestly, Drew, the game was over. Alabama had run 49 plays. Tennessee hadn't had a first down in a quarter. And then it just continued to the point that the game would, in order for Alabama to have lost that game in the second half, Tennessee was going to have to play absolutely perfect football. Well, they got a punt block, field goal, big sequence. Then when Tennessee was trying to claw their way back, they threw an interception. And suddenly what was kind of a nip and tuck, one or two touchdown game is blown wide open because the Tennessee defense was completely gassed. So, I mean, overall for me, I think it's Alabama's best win. Um, frankly, I think Alabama has given everybody else the blueprint to stop Tennessee if they're willing to go essentially man up on the outside and stack the box. But, you know, I leave that to uh, other defensive coordinators. But in terms of stuff I want to see cleaned up, I don't have much more than what y'all are talking about. You know, the offensive line needs to keep coming together. I don't think the offensive line's ever going to be an elite group. I don't think I think the pieces just aren't there to hit that uber awesome amazing group that we've seen from the past from past seasons. But they're good enough to get Alabama in with a puncher's chance against Georgia. Now, if Alabama was playing Georgia this weekend, I'd be terrified. But the fun part about that is they're not. So, I mean, just overall, I think we wanted Alabama to put together two straight solid performances. And particularly coming out of the Tennessee game, it wasn't just a solid performance. It was stuff to clean up, of course. It was Alabama's best performance to date. So, you know, same, se- same seasonal story, different seasonal verse, a little bit louder, a little bit worse. The calendar's about to turn to November. Alabama is putting the pieces together. Is it good enough to win a national championship? I don't know, but I can tell you that Alabama will have a puncher's chance against any team that takes the field against them, and that's not a bad spot to be in as we sit here getting to heal up. And don't forget, Drew Sanders will probably be back for this defense, and as valuable as the reps for Dallas Turner have been, and I take nothing away from the things he's been able to do, Turner is not Drew Sanders. I think Drew Sanders was on an all-SEC caliber track before his injury against Ole Miss. And, you know, this defense doesn't have the talent to just drop an all-SEC guy and be A-OK 100,000%. But, you know, overall, Drew, clean stuff up, be excited that Alabama's where they are, and uh, get healthy. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, I wanted to circle back to William. William, uh, I I really think that uh, he's going to play a huge factor down the stretch, but I do think Brian Robinson has been uh, even better than I had hoped. Uh, as a full-time starter for the first time, he is one of these guys, uh, you know, that stuck it through, stuck it throughout the process. And he, he and along with Chris Owens was asked to return to Alabama. And of course he has been rewarded uh, with a, a chance to finally showcase his skill set. He has, uh, you know, done a better job this year of protecting the football. He had a fumble that he recovered against Miami. Uh, the second fumble against Texas a and really wasn't his fault. It was really kind of a, a botched exchange, 
but the guy has done you know as much as anyone in the in the SEC as a featured back to be asked to do. And as we said, he's played through a couple of injuries, uh, going to be able to heal up through the bye. But I, I've called him kind of a poor man's Glenn Coffee, and I don't, I'm not sliding him in saying that because I'm not sure he's quite as fast as Glenn. At least he doesn't play as fast. But he also didn't have as good an offensive line as Glenn had back in that 08 year. But Brian Robinson, to me, has really uh, turned into kind of the heartbeat of the offense. Uh, very consistent guy, four and five yards per carry. And we saw more of that with that workmanlike performance. Uh, I think he had like 26 carries for 107 against the balls. No, I agree. And, and, and I think, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, in years past, especially when they've had a you know, a deeper and, and a healthier running back room, you, you've seen Nick Saban hesitant to, um, you know, kind of give the, the featured running back as many carries. You, you saw him kind of go away, to, away from it last year with Najee Harris. And I, I kind of think that, albeit they're two different running backs, but I think you, you've kind of seen Brian Robinson go down that same path that Najee Harris did, um, you know, between his, you know, junior and senior year at Alabama and Robinson has kind of gone down that same track. I mean, he's worked on his quickness. Um, I think he's become a better receiver out of the backfield. You know, there's no doubt that if something were to happen to Brian Robinson or Bryce Young, you know, this, this team, at least offensively, it's turned the lights out. The party's over. Mm -hmm. um, but no, it, uh, utmost respect for what B Rob's been able to do. I, I think that, um, you know, the, the guy plays with a lot of toughness. Um, you, know, you can see how hard, it, you know, he's become a little bit more elusive. I think, you know, um, in years past, he's kind of looked for defenders and engaged in contact. I think he's doing a better job of not just making people miss, but when it's a one-on-one -on -one matchup, um, you know, they, they tend to slide off of him and not get those clean shots on him like they used to, you know, a couple seasons ago. But, um, no, I think he's done a fantastic job. Obviously, he's had to fight through some minor injuries. And, uh, you know, Alabama's going to need him to, you know, keep this pace of play up, um, you know, throughout the month of November if, if they want to get to where they want to go. And, you know, I think it's obvious they want to be in Atlanta for that SEC um, championship game. But at the same time, you know, with Trey Sanders being on a pitch count, so to speak, I mean, I don't know if they'll ever be able to give him more than, you know, six to ten carries a game with them trying to kind of protect his rehabilitation process from that car wreck. You know, there's a lot of pressure on Roydell Williams, and I think he's responded um, tremendously with, with his lack of, of experience coming into this season. He's become a nice complement to uh, Robinson. I mean, he, he kind of reminds me of a, you know, of a Josh Jacobs, so to speak. I mean, when he gets that ball in the backfield, once he hits that line of scrimmage, I mean, he's at top speed, and uh, he has a nice burst about him. And, um, you know, I think if, you know, those guys can stay healthy, um, you know, Alabama can continue to build on this, and, and you know, that can be, a, uh, you know, a, a continue to be a focal point of the offense. You know, and I think something that, um, you know, I was kind of looking at today um, was, you know, where Bryce Young kind of stands right now statistically. And, you know, if, if you just – throw out there that he's going to have, you know, a th 300 yards passing and two or three touchdowns, 
um, you know, throughout the end of the regular season, not even factoring in the playoff games or SEC championship game, if they do get to that point, you know, he's, he's going to be closing in, you know, at the end of November with, you know, right at 4,000 yards and 40 touchdown passes. And, uh, you know, that, that's pretty sporty company to be in, especially when you consider um, there's, there's not four, you know, first-round draft picks at wide receiver running routes for him. And he certainly doesn't have the 2019 or 2020 offensive line providing protection for him either. So, you know, I think all the accolades that Bryce has earned up to this point um, have been certainly well-deserved. And, you know, I just love the young man's composure in the pocket. Um, you know, when he does make a mistake, he owns it and takes accountability for it. And, and you can see why, you know, guys like Nick Saban and Bill O'Brien, you know, enjoy coaching that young man. He's just a tremendous asset to the program. And, um, you know, looking forward to see what he can do, you know, throughout the remainder of this season. But certainly he's setting himself up to have a monster year in 2022. He really is. There's no doubt about it. And uh, Bryce has been special. And uh, it's amazing. I was just checking uh, Brian Robinson's stats. And I knew he was over 1,000 yards in his career. But quietly, he is playing a fifth year due to COVID. But he's now over 2,000 yards rushing uh, in his career, which is pretty amazing considering he hasn't been a full-time starter until this season, averaging five yards a carry, 26 touchdowns. Just a shade now over 2,000 yards rushing for uh, the super senior out of Tuscaloosa's Hillcrest High School. So a very solid career. Brian Robinson's going to get a chance to play professionally. He just needs to stay healthy here. And, of course, he and Bryce Young are tr- tremendously critical to this offense. And uh, the wide receiver group, Jamison Williams, I thought I saw some interesting things about him uh, this past, uh, today as well. Mel Kuyper always comes out with his rankings. and. I have a good friend, and really, I don't know about good friend. I, I joke about that. He's he, uh, he he considers himself a talent evaluator from New Jersey, and he he uh, he's very <laughs> he's very opinionated, and he he likes to get tell everybody how talented or un or at least uh, that, that Alabama is or isn't. And he's claiming now that Alabama will only have two first round draft choices in the next two years, which would be Evan Neal this year and Will Anderson due to not being, you know, available for the draft until next year. But uh, here's the interesting part. Yeah, but see, and here's the interesting part, yes, that Mel Kuyper came out with some initial rankings, and Jamison Williams is the number two wide receiver on his board uh, for the upcoming NFL draft, which would mean he would have a very good shot at being a first-round draft pick. So that shows you only on 35 catches, Jamison now has over 700 yards, He's averaging 23, or excuse me, just over 20.3 yards per catch. He's got six TDs. He's a guy that he did drop the first pass of the game, and, you know, he's had a few drops this year, but he caught a huge deep ball. I thought it was the biggest play of the game. I mentioned that at the start of the segment, William, but uh, Jamison Williams has got that deep speed, that the, and that's the reason he was brought in from Ohio State. Coach Saban wanted some explosiveness in the wide receiver room, and Jameson Williams has certainly provided that. And it's interesting because a couple of his Ohio State teammates led by Chris Olave, who were more well-known than Jameson at the start of the year, are now below him, according to Mel Kuyper, heading into uh, what would be a very interesting 2022 draft. 
Yeah, no, and I, I think, you know, we've seen a little bit of what Ohio State fans, um, you know, we're, we're, you know, of course, every fan base lashes out when one of their, you know, players jumps into the portal and takes off. But that, that was something that, you know, I saw over the spring and summer from, from Ohio State fans is, you know, why, why didn't he play more? Um, in Columbus, obviously, you know, you see their wide receiver depth chart. But, you know, they mentioned ball security issues, occasionally got a case of the drops. But, you know, I certainly haven't seen that developed into a continuing problem for him in 2021. But, you know, the guy's a matchup nightmare. He's got great length. Um, you know, can can – I don't know why they haven't thrown – um, you know, more back shoulder stuff to him because he's going to win that matchup more times than not. But, you know, it was great to see Mechie, um, you know, to get back into the mix and, and do lots of nice things after uh, not only getting open consistently, but, you know, doing some nice things with the ball after after the catch. And, you know, and a guy that is starting to really catch my eye, a guy that I really enjoy his enthusiasm and, and you can just tell Saturday night, you know, when he made the catch and, you know, the turf monster reached up there and grabbed him and God knows it's grabbed a lot of people, myself included. Uh, but, you know, Treshawn Holden, you know, here, here's a young cat that, you know, nobody really thought was going to be a big factor, um, you know, in the 2021 wide receiver rotation. He, he gets a little bit better each week, but man, you can see it. Um, you know, after he made that nice catch and maybe was thinking about running before he actually had his, you know, faculties completely with him. But, you know, you could see how disappointed he was in himself when he, when he tripped. And, you know, that's that, this team needs more of that, you know, people showing some emotion when, you know, they know they could have done a better job and they didn't pull it off. And um, I'm enjoying to watch the emergence of Trey Sean Holden. He's a big bodied guy that's got some great speed, you know, not a, you know, not a quick twitch guy, but, you know, once he gets going, he's got some wheels and I, I think he's got a chance to, you know, build on what he's done the last two weeks and become a bigger factor in the passing game for Alabama. Well, and I'm going to bring Thomas into the conversation because I think Trayshawn Holden's development is huge because of course you've got Slade Bolden. He's a steady as she goes program guy, but Holden is almost, uh, you know, as big a target in a way physically as Jaleel Billingsley, who continues to be maddeningly inconsistent. Uh, To me, he's held the offense back also because he could be such a great weapon. We haven't seen a good performance since the Southern Mississippi game, and then he catches the first ball of the game for eight yards. Then we see uh, he has a small shoulder issue, but of course he comes back again after that and then drops what could have been a huge play, maybe even a touchdown down the middle of the field by Gator arming a ball when he's afraid of physical contact. Thomas, uh, we saw Cameron Latou bounce back with three catches, 55 yards. Certainly, he and Henry Toa Toa uh, have to improve on the special teams aspect. They, you know, uh, they they missed a slide protection and led to a blocked punt, but I still thought Latou played hard and uh, it seemed to get past the drops finally against uh, Tennessee. But what to make of Jaleel Billingsley, who right now, to me, if he can't catch the ball, he's worthless. He's not a very good blocker. Uh, I, you know, I had this discussion with somebody close to the program yesterday. You know, we talked about it, and I think Jeff Banks, you know, did a lot of con- 
that did a lot of covering up for this cat. I think he's, you know, he was the kind of the buffer between him and Saban. Certainly, Jalil was a big part of things last year, but this year has not gone well at all. Uh, we we were both discussing how we would probably just go with Latou and Randolph at the tight end spots. I know Billingsley is so, uh, you know, talented, and so it's very tempting to have him try to be a big part of this offense. But, Thomas, unless something dramatically changes, I don't see him being a big part of it going forward. What would you do? What would be your take on Jaleel? And, and what would you, if you're Alabama's coaching staff, how do you try to get this guy going when it seems like he's just not paying attention to detail? Well, I think Jaleel Billingsley has a lot of Ajay Hall in him, quite frankly. Um, what does it take to be successful at anything, including football? Consistent attention to detail to deliver at a high to deliver high level performances, and I mean whether it's getting in the doghouse in what would what I think can be fairly stated to be your money year, or Gator Arm and Balls, you know he set himself up to pretty much have to play perfect, and. When he's played very well, this Alabama offense hits another gear. But at the same time, there have been times where it's like, dude, what do you, what, why did, what, what, what was this? What, what did, what was this? Explain this to me. And I, I understand the tantalizing thing, but it's almost like you have to take this thing week to week. Like if he rolls out in the first drive and blows a block, get on the bench. I don't really have a problem with Kendall Randolph coming in and using him like an old school, just straight blocking tight end. You can do a lot of stuff formationally with a guy that can block that well that is really hard for opposing defenses to plan for. Uh, Alabama really, in terms of formations, doesn't do a lot of formational shenanigans. Um, I keep waiting for a smart defensive coordinator to basically develop a key system that when Brian Robinson goes in motion, key to something else. I think it's happened some, but it hasn't been that effective. But you can see that coming from a mile away, and I'm just waiting for the shoe to drop on that. But what Alabama does, instead of doing tons of different formations, is they package a bunch of plays around a handful of formations. And I believe it was the touchdown to John Mechie, like the eight-yard touchdown to John Mechie. Alabama went heavy to the right with Kendall Randolph. That play was an RPO. It could have been Brian Robinson running to the right behind Alabama's heavy personnel, but Bryce Young accurately read that Mechie was going to be open. Pull it, gun it, touchdown. So Alabama can do some things formationally, and if Jaleel Billingsley can't get out of his own way, and in some ways I think that's what this is, like – for whatever reason, the expectations are through the roof on this young man, and he's pretty consistently failed to deliver this year. You just got to be like, you know, you're, 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 you're your own worst enemy. You got to figure this out. Until then, you know, here's some tweezers. Get some splinters out your butt. But it's, a, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't at the same time, Drew. Yeah, it is. And so we'll see where they, where they kind of make an adjustment and – uh, and, and William, I know you've mentioned it as well. You just mentioned Trey Sean. You brought him up. He had two catches for 34 yards. We saw Mechie 
uh, do an outstanding job. I mean, Mechie is not a super explosive guy, but he's a blood and guts, physical cat that's going to do the dirty work, go across the middle, make the tough catches. He's going to block 11 for 121, two scores. Jamison Williams did get himself going after that slow start, six for 123. Uh, you know, and he didn't get in the end zone and they wouldn't kick off to him, but certainly he did make the most of his touches. So the receiver core seems to be rounding into shape. But I'll let you go uh, and give your thoughts on Jaleel. Is it possible to salvage him, get him going, or should Alabama move on and kind of phase him out and uh, go with Latou and uh, Kimball Randolph and continue to expand the role of somebody like Eleven in Crimson uh, from the state of California? Well, I mean, I've got a question before I answer your question. Yeah. Um, Drew, you, you said, um, you know, before you started talking to Thomas that you felt like Jeff Banks was a buffer between Billingsley and Coach Saban. Are you sure it was Jeff Banks or was it the stripper and the monkey? <laughs> well, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, well, as William is alluding to, you just have to Google it or look into Jeff Banks' background uh, for that uh, little tidbit on They, they have both followed him out to College Station, by the way. <laughs> Oh, they, yeah, that is exact. Just look up Pole Assassin, everybody. Uh, if you want to Google <laughs> Pole Assassin and Jeff Banks and uh, do a little bit of that. But, Can no, the internet guys say, please do not ever put Pole Assassin into a work search bar? <laughs> nothing will, nothing good will come of that. But go ahead. Be sure and clean your cookies up at the end of the day if you do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but he's just, to me, he's the most maddening guy, William, because. You see the ability, you see the talent, but we haven't seen the production except in small glimpses. Well, I mean, I think, you know, here we are basically um, a week away from, less than a week away from the start of November. And based on the past, I mean, I don't see, you know, Billingsley or, or Hall, you know, riding this ship, um, you know, maybe there's a better chance of Billingsley doing it because he actually is, you know, getting a chance to, to get out on the field and give, you know, is given the opportunity to play. Uh, it doesn't look like Hall's going to get that opportunity in 2021. But, you know, a lot of this stuff are, you know, personal habits that these guys brought into the program. And, you know, in Billingsley's case, I mean, you know, at least, you know, in Hall's case, you can say he's still a true freshman and, you know, still going through learning the process, so to speak. But, you know, this is Billingsley's third year. And, you know, if, if he's, you know, not paying attention to the finer details, I mean, you know, he had a great, great teacher last year in, in the way Devonta Smith went about his business, you know, the best wide receiver on the team you know, that stayed afterwards and, and, you know, caught 100 jug passes every day after practice. So, you know, he wouldn't get the drops on Saturday. You know, I, I don't know if, if Billingsley, you know, has got that type of, of personal dedication to his craft at this point. But, you know, I, I'm not ready to, to give up on Billingsley um, for 2021. I mean, you know, certainly with this off week, um, you know, maybe they can sit him down and I'm sure this wouldn't be the first come to Jesus meeting that they've had with the young man. But like you said, I mean, it's very frustrating as a fan 
you know, watching somebody, like you said, I mean, this was his quote money year. Um, you know, there's two ways of looking at it as an Alabama fan, you know, has the young man squandered his money year to the point this year, um, that that he's going to have to come back and do it all over again in 2022. Now, a fully bought in Jaleel Billingsley factored into the 2022 offense would completely excite me. Um, you know, I'd hate it for him if he's, you know, squandered millions of, of dollars to, you know, go late in the first round or early in the second. That remains to be seen. But, um, you know, I think certainly his bad habits have spilled over onto the field. Um you know, you saw at the end of last season the kind of weapon he can be in the passing game. And, you know, I do agree with you, Drew. I mean, outside of, you know, getting in somebody's way on a misdirection play, going to the opposite side that he's lined up on, you know, he's not much of a factor in the run game as a blocker. Um, I mean, do do I want to see, you know, Kendall Randolph, you know, channeling his inner Brandon Green and running seam passes 20 yards down the field. I don't know if I'm ready to make that call or not. Um, But, you know, certainly I think Randolph could probably do it with his basketball background. But, um, you know, you hate to see it. I mean, you know, we're talking about two guys, you know, if you go back to April of last year, you know, coming out of the A-Day game that I think any Alabama fan that, you know, that had, you know, the chance to watch scrimmages or, you know, watch that A Day game on TV. You know, somebody would have laughed at you if you'd have told them that you know a Jai Hall was going to be a non-factor and Billingsley was, you know, going to be in the process of going from being a superstar to somewhat of a liability. Yeah, that's a you know well said, and he has probably been the biggest disappointment, Jaleel Billingsley, on this offense because going into the year, a lot of people had a lot of expectations for him. Uh, of course, he had trouble earning the trust of the staff and the rest of his teammates getting back on the field. But once he did, uh, you hoped he would get over the hump. It doesn't seem like that's the case. And Ajay Hall, a lot of uh, you know immaturity issues right now. Very talented young man, uh, I think. But much like uh, several of the freshmen there before him, even a guy like Derrick Henry who had a tough adjustment as a freshman, Went on to be a Heisman Trophy winner, now probably the best running back in the NFL. I mean, you've seen, uh, you know, other freshmen get frustrated, you know, while they were in in, in their uh, initial seasons, you know, with the Crimson Tide, and with it, and then went on to outstanding careers uh, because they just had to buy in and you know get their minds right and get on the field. There's no doubt. There's been several before him that have gone through some of the same issues. Uh, but one of the biggest was a guy like Henry who thought about transferring as a freshman but did not and became such a huge part of Alabama football. This young man can be a, a, an outstanding player, too, but he's suspended right now, uh, you know, cr- trying to work his way back. Javon Baker has been in the doghouse as well. He's another very talented guy. So all these guys can still, especially those last two, Baker and Hall, can still be big parts of this, but they need to – uh, you know, buy in and be patient. It's not about the beginning of your career. It's about the uh, the, the end of it, uh, what's, how you develop at Alabama. I know this transfer rule bothers the coaches because now they can just leave instead of, uh, you know, conforming and then buying in. Uh, we'll see what these young men do. But this offense is taking shape, though. We talked about John Mechie getting healthier now, uh, producing the way he is. 
Jamison Williams coming over from Ohio State, uh, and Trayshawn holding. So the receiver room seems to be developing nicely. We've talked about the O-line. Now the defense comes into the conversation. I thought they played a really good game up front against Tennessee. The biggest key, and we talked about it last week, guys, was stopping the run first and foremost because Tennessee's a run-first team a lot like Ole Miss. Once again, the run defense was stout. They held the balls to 46 yards. Hinton Hooker really impressed me. I didn't think he was going to play. He played, showed a lot of toughness, threw the ball well. Of course, a couple of Alabama busts played a big part in that. We saw Daniel Wright start for the second straight week. He didn't last long. He was benched by the end of the first quarter. We saw a ton of DeMarco Hellams. Uh, and then we only had one other bust where Josh Job was kind of caught flat-footed trying to get the call and looked like the receiver might have left early. But, again, it's neither here nor there. Uh, it's still a, t- a long touchdown, 75 yards to the Vols. But, uh, th- Thomas, I wanted to bring you into the conversation. We've, of course, been scrutinizing the defense. I still thought overall it was a good effort, but still got to clean up the back end and the bus. But, you know, this could have easily been a 61 to 10 type game. But uh, to Tennessee's credit, they fought and kept it close for three quarters. But what did you see that you liked and maybe that you're concerned about still defensively? Well, the thing that was going to that was going to beat Tennessee, excuse me, was cutting down the play count. How do you do that? Well, as I said earlier, make it so that they can't run forever. Because when you run, you really, really crank the tempo. Because, you know, and think about it. Let's say you run off tackle. Well, more than likely, you're going to have two or three defenders on top of a running back. You're going to have offensive linemen blocking close, unless it's a, lo- unless it's a big gainer. But your offensive linemen in that case are trained to pretty much sprint down the field to accelerate the tempo. Well, what does that mean? It means that wide receivers don't have to run 20-yard routes and then run back. That, te- that means you can go faster and faster and faster. And Alabama's defense is not built. The depth is not there to run 90 plays. If, Tennessee, if Tennessee's play count ever had gotten into the 90s, it was going to turn into a straight shootout. So the Alabama defense very correctly said, we're going to squat on everything and try and make tackles. Uh, the Josh Job miss was a very weird play. Like on film, I honestly think the referees missed like a bunch of dudes just starting and taking an extra step on Tennessee's offense. It didn't get called, and I'm not going to bellyache about officiating, but most of the time, Alabama's secondary was able to stand up. And what did that mean for the offense? It means the offense, Alabama offense ran 91 plays. The Tennessee defense was toast by the start of the fourth quarter. But overall, defensively, what what were you really looking for? You were looking for dominance from the Alabama defensive line, and I think you saw that. The interior was solid. Will Anderson is unbelievably good. Um, he, he does so many things for this defense, it's hard to list them. I think, frankly, he's the best defender in the country, and it's not that close. All respect to Kayvon Thibodeau out in Oregon. Will Anderson is just 100 times worse. And the big thing for me, Drew, is that for the first time this year, it's like the light went on for Henry To'o To'o 
and Christian Harris. I've been all over those two guys, particularly Harris, for occasionally just curling up and dying in the middle of the field and doing functionally nothing for the Alabama defense. But on Saturday night, Harris was exceptional. He was the best candidate to spy Hendon Hooker and really shut down the quarterback run. To'o To'o was everywhere. So overall, particularly the defensive front, best game of the year. They did what they needed to do. They fulfilled what I would call their victory conditions. And to your point, before Alabama fans really start wailing and gnashing teeth, if Jamison Williams doesn't fumble, Alabama ties the game at that point, I believe, or they go up one touchdown. Without the odd punt block, it's a 10-point game after that change of possession, minimum. So if Alabama cleans up their little mistakes, and they were little, it is like a 65-10 to 10 game. So when I look at this, realize that the week before, even though you, know, you can't do the transitive property, it's not a one-to-one comparison, the week before, the Tennessee Volunteers gave Ole Miss everything and more. And that Ole Miss is a good football team. That Ole Miss-Auburn game this weekend is going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to it. But that Tennessee team gave Ole Miss everything they wanted. And then they go on the road to Tuscaloosa, and we all said, you know, 41-17, because they put so much emotion into the Ole Miss game. Well, if Alabama plays even a slightly cleaner game, it wasn't 41-17. It was like 61-17. And if that's what you get shutting down a very good offense from, the defense, from Alabama's defense, I don't know how you can complain. Again, much like the offense, it's getting better. We said it about the offense. Bryce Young is maturing. And just a quick sidebar, if you're one of the fans that wants to criticize Bryce Young, I need you to walk to my coffee pot, pour you a big cup of shut the hell up, and if you need to leave the room, I'm going to put it in the oven so it stays warm. But back to the defense. The defense is coming along. Is it going to ever be a Georgia elite unit? No. But statistically, the Georgia defense is on par or better than Alabama's 2011 group right now. So let's pump the brakes before we scream about the Alabama defense not being able to do what the Georgia defense has done thus far. Also, interestingly about that, I don't think Florida is going to beat Georgia, but I think Florida can do some things to make that group sweat. If Georgia comes out and it's like 31-3 against Florida, I will happily grab the hot sauce and happily eat the crow. But I have questions, and I'm really looking forward to that game also, Drew. Well, yeah, and I'll say this. The special teams, I know they didn't. They had the block punt where they missed the protection, but, uh, you know, and then Reichert missed a 54-yarder due to some penalties. But Alabama only had four penalties for 30 yards. I think they'll clean the special teams up. I still like where they are. William uh, had some info for us. JoJo Earl's slight shoulder injury in practice. Probably the reason he didn't take as many reps at punt return. Hopefully he'll get healthy and be a bigger part of that uh, going forward and they can get some more uh, you know, produ- production out of it. Kickoff return's been great. It's been so good. Jameson Williams is not getting kicked to anymore. Probably won't get kicked to very much. He may have a few opportunities, but he'll have to make the most of those. But certainly it helps. It's still Alabama gets a good field position if they decide 
the sky kick. You know, they're going to be starting around the 35-yard line. So I still think special teams have been really solid. Uh, and the kickoff coverages have been good when they've been called upon, except for the one rep uh, against A-Chain, against uh, Texas A&M. So I think special teams is going to be fine. But, William, I wanted to get your thoughts uh, as we wind down the football conversation. Uh, before I give a little basketball review and we're winding down BAMS radio, where do you see the defense at right now? I thought it was a really good effort from uh, Will Anderson, one and a half sacks, eight tackles. He's got eight and a half sacks, 53 tackles on the year. And then we saw another sack from Panarian Mathis. I think he's had an all-SEC type year. But where, what did you think of the defensive performance, and where are they in your mind headed into this bye with Drew Sanders very likely returning for LSU? Well, I mean, it, and this certainly isn't on the defense. It's it's all three phases of the game. Um, you know, you, you can get away with, you know, getting caught staring into the damn stands at your girlfriend like Josh Job or whatever the hell he was doing against the Tennessee. Um, you know, you can get away with getting a punt blocked against the Tennessee, and you can get away with a fumble um, that, that, you know, basically took points off the board. Uh, offensively against Tennessee. You do that on the road at Jordan-Hare Stadium, you're probably going to get beat. You know, you do that in Atlanta versus whoever, probably going to be Georgia if Alabama gets there, you're going to get beat. So, you know, there's still some things, and, and, you know, I equate them to, you know, this being a young, inexperienced football team um, that, that needs to be cleaned up and corrected. But, you know, as far as the defense goes, I, you know, I, I think that, you know, if, if they can continue to get, you know, good quality play, and certainly I think having Drew Sanders back, I, I totally agree with, you know, what Thomas said earlier about having Drew Sanders back, hopefully for LSU. You know, when, when you factor in that, that Alabama had to go, uh, I think, three games with their third team Sam linebacker, you know, in Dallas Turner, um, and, and, you know, to, to get the kind of production out of the unit that they got, you know, it was probably a blessing. But I agree with Thomas. I think Drew Sanders, had he not gotten the the ligament damage in his thumb, was having an all-SEC year, um, you know, just with the way he, he disrupts plays, he bats passes down, um, you know, puts good pressure on the quarterback. Um, you know, I think you'll see an uptick in the defensive production if Drew Sanders is able to play at that same level when he comes back versus LSU. Um, you know, you know, and I, I think it's kind of become, uh, you know, with the Alabama defensive line, I think it's kind of become the same talking point that you have to talk people off the ledge. You know, why why aren't we getting to see a, a Jamel Burroughs? Um, you know, why aren't we getting to see, um, you know, the other Latham on the defensive side of the ball? And, and you know, you just got to think that, you know, if, if Freddie Roach and Nick Saban and Pete Golding thought that those cats could help, um, you know, you'd see them in the game. I, I would like to see them, um, you know, be able to get to the point. Maybe the off week will give, give them confidence to maybe play those guys a little bit more. Uh, but, you know, certainly I think Fidarian Mathis is, is the alpha of that defensive line. Um, you know, he, he does it in a different way, and I'm certainly not trying to compare him to, you know, Quinnen Williams or Marcel Darius. But, you know, he does command that presence inside. I, I think, you know, you're going to start to see him draw double teams. Um, I would say that probably the second most active guy 
um, that flashes a lot and makes explosive plays, you know, from time to time has certainly been Byron Young. Um, but, you know, as a whole, I think, you know, that defensive line, um, you know, it's kind of gone by the same talent um, downgrade that you've seen the offensive line fall prey to. I mean, you don't see a Quinnen Williams over there. You don't see a Marcel Darius. Um, you don't see a Christian Barmore, although I think Fidarian Mathis isn't far off in that regard. Um, goes about it in a different way, but but I think he's having a really nice year. And I agree with Thomas. I mean, I got to you know, do my mea culpa as well with, with Harris and Toa Toa. I mean, certainly um, that was their best game collectively as an inside linebacker unit. Um, does it come as a real big surprise that, you know, the first first game this season that Toa Toa's named one of the SEC, I mean, not the SEC, but one of the Alabama, you know, players of the week was against his former team. Uh, but I agree with Thomas. I thought those two guys were more accurate um, and active in their responsibilities and making plays. Um, you know, it, it's just, you know, I, I think this kind of this defensive unit, maybe it gets a, a little bit of an uptick um, in production. Um, you know, with Sanders coming back, I think they're sitting at 30, 30th or 31st right now in points allowed per game. Um, you know, that's certainly not the standard that, that Nick Saban looks to. But I think, you know, going into the month of November, although you you did see the 2020 defensive unit really turn it on um, in the month of November last year, and it carried over into the SEC championship game and the playoffs, maybe you will see, um, you know, that uptick. I, I've run out of, you know, accolades and compliments to give Will Anderson. I totally agree with Thomas. I think he's the best, you know, defensive player in the country from an individual standpoint. You know, he leads the nation in sacks and tackles for loss. And, you know, he's got a really good chance to get to, you know, 20-plus tackles for loss and double-digit sacks, um, you know, by the end of the season. So that that would be, you know, phenomenal. Um, but, you know, it's just, you know, I think the lapses um, – that, that you see from this unit, you know, they tend to fall asleep at times and, and play like a, you know, a, a, a top five defensive unit at other times in certain, you know, situations. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like the old, uh, um, you know, Forrest Gump line, you know, they're kind of like a box of chocolates. You just don't know which, which uh, version of the 2021 Alabama defense you're going to get week to week. Hopefully it's like, what you saw at Mississippi State and, and Saturday versus Tennessee. Yeah, hopefully so. Hopefully they'll continue to get better, and I think they took some steps forward against the Vols, uh, no doubt about it. So, uh, again, some exciting storylines to follow. Can, can I jump uh, in real group. quick? Yeah, sure, I, go I ahead. Just, I, I want to quickly explain, you know, we're talking Jamarian Latham, Jamil Burroughs, Jai Hall, Javon Baker, et cetera. And, and I, I think a lot of fans – really, for some reason, struggled to, with Nick Saban's mindset. The whole concept of Nick Saban's process, another way to put it would be do the little things right. And what that means is go into class, go into tutoring, paying attention in meetings, practicing like you'll play in the game, 
you know, all those little things that Nick Saban has preached for at least the past 20 years, before Alabama came along, that's been the thing that Nick Saban has hung his hat on that has led to consistent success. You know, think about Devontae Smith. That guy is arguably the greatest college-wide receiver in history. He was also the hardest worker on Alabama's team. He literally did every single thing right for years. And look where it got him. So as fans, you know, everybody, I want to see a Jai Hall come and just go crazy and you know, catch touchdown passes all day. I want to see all those guys go do that. But when those players don't play, I think it's fair to assume that they're failing to do some of the little things correctly. And because of that, they will not play. Now, and, it's, and a, 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 a clever fan will say, well, maybe Nick Saban should change. And maybe he should. He has absolutely shown the ability to adapt in dire situations. See Jalen Hurts to Atanga Vailoa against the University of Georgia in that national championship game. But he doesn't want to do that. And... But let's just assume, for the sake of being, he needs to change more often. Okay, maybe, but realize that that commitment to doing the little things right every day to prepare the players, to coach the players to be the best versions of themselves, et cetera, et cetera, has been key to Alabama winning half of the national championships in Nick Saban's tenure. Now, you want to change that? One, I think you're wrong, and two, what you're actually signing up for is what we're seeing down on the bayou with the LSU Tigers. So if we're going to talk about players we haven't seen for whatever reason, one, I think Nick Saban has earned the benefit of the doubt nine times out of ten, and two, be very, very careful what you wish for because the differences between sell out to win a national title and consistently win a national title are not that big. Just just wanted to PSA that because I see it a lot and it kind of drives me crazy, Drew. Yeah, and I can understand that. I mean, this is a team that is a little maddening because they're not last year. They're not as talented, but they still have a lot of ability. But, hey, the way I tend to look at it is the upside. They can still get better. I still think they're very dangerous. Uh, their schedule has set up well. LSU at home, it's a very winnable game. We'll, we'll talk about it more, break it down more on Sunday. Uh, and then, you, of course, you've got uh, New Mexico State. You've got Arkansas. And then a trip to Auburn. We'll see what Auburn does against Ole Miss Saturday. I agree with you, Thomas. That's a fascinating game. I'm also wanting to see if Anthony Richardson gets some quality time, maybe even starts against Georgia, what he can do. Is it going to be still Stetson Bennett? I think it will be instead of JT Daniels versus Georgia team uh, at against Florida. So we're going to get a chance to watch some good football this weekend. But what I wanted to also break down was basketball. I was able to attend the exhibition game. And again, it was, it was not a pretty game. It was a 73 to 68 Alabama win. They did not have uh, Javon Quinterly, one of the best guards in the sec. And one of my favorite, uh, you know, role players, Juwan Gary, both were suspended for violation of the team rules earlier uh, in the off season. They will be eligible for the uh, the home opener and the season opener on November 9th. They were not there. Alex Chiku has just recently been cleared. He was not considered in good enough shape, so the Alabama only had nine guys available. 
But J.D. Davidson, who we lauded, the true freshman, his first game in an Alabama uniform, 19 points, three assists, four steals, did a great job, you know, running the team as a true freshman. Could have probably had seven or eight assists. Alabama only shot six of 30 from the three-point line, but they did shoot along, led by J.D. Davidson. He went seven for seven, 27 for uh, 33 at the free throw line. It's a game they probably would have lost in Oates' first year, but they found a way to win. Charles Bediaco, the true freshman post, he only had five points, but he got more comfortable as the game went on, did an outstanding job, five points, seven rebounds. He's going to be a rim protector this year, three blocks and a steal. So I thought his play as the game went on helped Alabama come back. I thought Alabama defensively was really good. And then Keon Ellis, my guy, he reminds me a lot of Latrell Sprewell, a guy that William Barger is very familiar with. During his, He was at Alabama during William's time uh, at the Capstone. Latrell went on to an outstanding pro career. Uh, and, uh, you know, Keon had hit five threes, had 21 points, and did an outstanding job defending as well. So he's a guy that I think can be one of the best two-way players in the SEC, no doubt about it. And so it was good to see Alabama in front of a, a pretty good crowd, an energetic crowd, get a win, and uh, they can go back to the drawing board now uh, and get the, their entire roster back with uh, ready to go because, you know, Javon Quinley is going to make a huge impact. Jaden Shackelford had his probably worst game at Alabama. He went one for 14, but you know what you can get out of him. He's a scorer. He will be better down the line, no doubt about it. But Alabama found a way to win, got some good minutes uh, out of Darius Miles, who had seven points and is hopefully going to be a factor, you know, off the bench this year as an energy guy and as someone who plays with a lot of athleticism. He had two really nice dunks in the game. Keon Ambrose Hilton was back from the injury. He had a nice dunk, gave him some nice minutes. So this is still, I think, got a chance to be a very good Alabama basketball team. And as they get better and get more cohesive, really excited to see, you know, how they play, you know, going forward. But it was good to be back in Coleman Coliseum and see some uh, Crimson Tide basketball in NATO's third year. We may have some recruiting news to talk about Sunday because there's, uh, you know, some kids that are making their decisions uh, coming up in the next several days. Uh, Noah Clowney, a Brandon Miller, uh, basketball-wise, who we're going to continue to monitor very closely. Also, Ryland Griffin, who I think was in town this past week. Uh, so Alabama's got some big-time targets in basketball. They want to add with Jaden Bradley. Also, Jerace Walker. So we're going to be following, uh, uh, you know, those uh, storylines for you as well. And we'll have some, uh, you know, some thoughts on that from me on BAMS Radio. Once some of those decisions come out, I think Alabama would like to sign up to four guys, even five, if they could get the right guys in Alabama basketball recruiting. But we hope you enjoyed our bi-week edition of BAMS Radio. We think there's some outstanding conversation tonight, breaking down the Tennessee win, 15 in a row. Nothing sucks like a big orange. I always enjoy beating Tennessee uh, because I have no love loss for Philip Fulmer. So enjoyed that, uh, and we will continue to. And and certainly, uh, we uh, we also are excited about Alabama coming out of this bye, getting Drew Sanders back, getting healthy, and seeing what this team, what their upside could be potentially, and if they can continue to win and have a chance to get to Georgia. Because I think everyone anticipates Georgia coming out of the East, and it's now just a thought, can Alabama uh, get out of this Western division and get a chance to maybe slay the dragon known as the number one Georgia Bulldogs. So we're looking forward to Alabama going down the stretch here in November 
and we'll have some more thoughts on Sunday as Alabama is going to return to Bryant-Denny Stadium really for the next three games, the first one being LSU coming up on November the 6th, and we should have an idea of when that kickoff time will be as right now it's in flux. But for uh, William Redfish Barger, for Thomas the Wizard Watts, I'm Drudy Armand. Good night, everybody. Go Braves and Roll Tide.